Dude, uh, read the first chapter Hello, everyone. and then adjust and then watch Bye. the uh, Britney Spears uh, Glee episode. It's a, it's an incredible experience. It's I feel like I just did LSD. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com, which is now being blogged on again. This is episode 84, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. And with me today are my regular panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I like, I like how you said that I'm your host, and you had this sort of slight tone of, like, despair. <laughs> like, I'm still here. It is 10 p.m. here. <laughs> so there's a little bit of despair going Eight, on. 84 shows and 10 p.m. Yeah, that, I've been going straight all day. Freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hey, everybody. And with us today is a special guest, uh, the producer of the other podcast I'm occasionally invited on uh, from Game Shark, uh, Todd Brackey. Hello, everybody. Just want to say it's great to be here, and I am so relieved that my check to Troy finally cleared so I could be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've invited Todd before, uh, and his schedules don't quite always work out. He's a great, uh, even knows the Civ games that we're talking about here tonight. I'm certainly happy to have him. Um, this show is not as well produced as Jumping the Shark. <laughs> but it will be because Todd's <laughs> going to produce this episode. Right? Oh, he don't even say that. He's paying us in trade. Yeah. Uh, that, well, that, I do that, a lot of things in see, trade. Most of them I'm not proud of. See, and if Jeff Green had useful skills, he'd be here too. But sadly, oh. he's but he's yes. really good at eating Doritos and uh, Fig Newtons, I hear. Oh, and taking yeah. pics of it, man. That guy's a pro. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> Jeff Green, uh, our good friend, was supposed to be here to discuss civilization with us and was excited to do so. And, in fact, he chose this time to fit his schedule. Uh, but he's taken a new job up at PopCap Studios, which we're very happy for him because uh, about because PopCap's a great fit for the Jeff Green ethos, so we wish him all the best there. Uh, but they're taking him out and treating him well. Uh, so his, this timing did not quite work out, but we do hope to have Jeff Green on sometime in the next month because uh, he's yeah, awesome he's a, and good. He's a podcast <laughs> whore. He has to be on every podcast. That's his yeah. goal before he dies. And let's be honest, for I mean, uh, Games with Jobs and the Games for Windows podcast are two of the big, you know, inspirations for me just deciding, hey, this podcasting stuff isn't stupid. So, <laughs> Both of which lived on the back of Jeff Green. So <laughs> there you well, go. That's right. <laughs> one of them was you, or, well, Certus, and the other one was uh, Jeff Green. So hopefully we'll have Jeff Green on soon. This is the long-awaited uh, Civilization show. We're going to talk about, about Civilization V. I've already talked a lot about it in a lot of places, uh, including on the Jumping the Shark show last week. Um, Civ Five is the game I've probably been looking forward to the most from the moment it was announced in March. Um, and it came out to a number of really great rave reviews. And was my it, review was, was not it, a rave. Was it what? only this March that this game was announced and we're talking about it here in September? It was right it was around in, PAX East, wasn't it? Yeah. It was around, yeah. It was around just before PAX East. So yeah, like late February, early March. That's really compressed. I, ha I hadn't actually In processed age, that yeah. part of it. Yeah, I mean, that that's like, you know, a six-month PR cycle. You yeah. know, given given that we had Bioshock Infinite announced, and that's going to come out in, I don't know, when my kids go to high school in <laughs> 10 years. I mean... That that's a that's a really compressed. I hadn't actually put it in that context. That's yeah, impressive. There are, there are games being announced now that aren't coming out till twenty twelve. Right. Absolutely. And so and people are complaining, oh, this game wasn't marketed well, then they the marketing was too all over the place. Well, you know what? They only had six months to do it. I mean Civ four had two years. Yeah. At least eighteen months. Civ Revolutions had at least a year. Civ Revolutions had a year. Wait, are people and, saying that Civ five wasn't marketed well? Uh, they're saying that it there, were, there weren't enough previews, wasn't enough clarity on how the game had changed in a lot of other ways, um, huh. not enough hands-on previews. Well, hang on, let's dive right in here uh, for a second. Okay. I mean, I, is this game having any sort of troubles? Because, I mean, I remember um, oh, I, Chris oh, Remo posted a picture of his Steam friends list, and, I mean, everybody oh, on I, there... I, was... mine, mine right now, I can tell you. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have 300 people on my Steam friends list, and... 
six, seven, eight tabs down, I'm still looking at people who play in Civ Five. Yeah, so did marketing fail to like part the Red Sea? Is that the problem? (laughs) (laughs) Christ did not actually appear on the mount at Hail Revelations. That's the problem. That's the marketing was a failure uh, because you know this is a civilization. People know it's coming out, and you're going to get people like us, right? And people like our friends buying the game and talking Uh, about it a lot. Talking about it a lot. Uh, there was, I've, I've, this isn't a huge complaint, but I have read in a few places. Like, I'm not going to go looking for them or link to them, suggesting that you know the marketing was uh, too frantic towards the end. There wasn't enough of a buildup. Eh, a lot I, that, of information didn't come out. That, that's fair. I mean, yeah. by by the modern PR cycle, which is I would say the yeah. modern press PR cycle for uh, a video game is about a year. It I, is I, stupid. Can we just say that? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I'm not saying that's a good say. thing, but I'm, yeah, but I'm saying that that like now would be about when I would expect the full court press for a game coming out next Christmas as a writer, right? That now would be about when I'm like, ooh, I can get you a special this or a special that, or would you be interested in trying to work a cover for February, right? I mean, that's we're about a year right. out. That's about what the cycle is. Is now right. is when people pitch games for next holiday season. This game didn't do that, and so I understand why people are saying, "Wait a minute, this game came out of nowhere. I, I heard about it in March, and now I'm playing it. What am I supposed to think?" But but you know what? I I totally prefer that, right? Because yeah. oh, because we saw this game when I did the the Game Pro cover story for this back in March or April or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, we we barely had anything we could play, and yet now we're playing a game that is, and, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, pretty polished. I mean, maybe not completely polished. There are pieces we would like to be better. But it has some issues. It, yeah. is, it has it has some issues, but but given the hype cycle, I think that's a reasonable amount of time. So let's uh, talk a bit about Civ. Five and how much time we've put into it. I'm not going to ask you to give us your Steam numbers of how many hours you've put into it. Uh, but I will admit, Civ, Civ Five is the 37. game. That, 37 is my number. That's your number? That's a lot for me. 37 hours is a lot. Yeah, that is. That really say for you, that's an eternity. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm, I'm a notorious game skimmer. And I'm 30 between the press copy and the retail right. copy I had to buy because the press copy got gimped and so I couldn't play multiplayer. Right. Uh, between the two, I'm at 37 as of this afternoon on the train. People okay. who have the retail copy can't play multiplayer, so not a big difference there. <laughs> we'll get into that, I'm sure. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, for me, between the two, I've played 106 hours. Good wow. Lord. Wow. Wow. See, I, I did not get an early build of the game, and I, I've got about 20, 25 hours in on it so far in, in a week. Mr. Zach thinks it's we're putting yeah, our on the table. Oh, God, no. I I put I put in, like, 20-some hours, uh, most of that right before I was writing a piece for uh, GamePro. And um, I actually haven't played that much since. Um, I'm in the middle of another review project that's turning into a bit of a bear, but... All right. Well, so so Troy, you clearly have the longest penis at the table, <laughs> and, and and not just this table. <laughs> so start us off. Okay. Well, I mean, I so you look say at the time. The first, <laughs> the first thing that's really I played a lot of Civilization. The thing that's leaping out at me the most is that this is a game that requires you to choose your strategy and your plan pretty quickly for victory. You have to decide very early on if you're going to do a cultural victory, for example. It's not something you can do with a large empire. I would actually also say I think that it's – and I think this is intentional. Oh, yeah. It is different based on which civilization you start with. It certainly is. And Schaefer was very clear about this up front that they wanted to make your choice of civilization actually inform your decision of strategy in a way that previous Civ games haven't. Right. Uh, and, and I can't remember the name of it, but there's one civilization that comes with that, that one of the bonuses is you get a cultural building that has no maintenance costs. Uh, right. I can't remember which civilization that is. That civilization starts with such a substantial advantage in trying to make a cultural victory that if you choose to say, oh, I'm going to go pure military, you're kind of throwing away one of your bonuses. Yeah. Longhouses, I mean, you, Troy, you and I talked about this too. If you're playing Hiawatha and you're not building a strategy based around production from longhouses, 
-hmm. you're not really playing the game that was dealt to you by the random selection of uh, of, of right. your civilization, and and, and if, 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 if you're if you're playing India, you know, because India, you don't. There's no penalty for large cities, but there is a penalty for large empires. Right, right. So it's, you're you going to be investing just, totally in food and culture. Right, and if you choose to step away from that, you're really you're hampering yourself. And yes. in previous versions of civilization, it, I mean, pretty much every previous mm-hmm. version of civilization, I, I think it's fair to say that the the which which leader you were being was kind of a whitewash over the game. You got, you got a different unit here and a different unit there. But by the time you got to the end of the game, it really didn't matter that much. Well, they it did really, have those, they did, ahead, ha- they, they did have those traits. I mean, they had the, the, the traits that, you know, industrious or, or what have you, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but, um, that made a difference. I mean, if you wanted to go a certain direction and you knew that it was to your benefit to pick a specific leader, but it wasn't like you, picked a specific leader and had to go in a certain direction, which I think is more the case in Civ V. I think it is definitely more the case. You definitely, if you're fighting against the predilection of your civilization, you will have a harder time. Right. But I I think that's sort of in keeping with, you know, in this Civ, you really do have to go in with a plan from the start. And I think in this case, that starts off. That starts with the um, Civ selection screen, as opposed to taking place, you say, by the Middle Ages. That's for yeah, me in Civ Four. By the I, Middle Ages, that's when I locked in. Yeah. I, I think I think it's still the case that you're 40 turns in before you're really sort of committing to a strategy, right? But it, the, it's, it's, it's still going to take you 40 turns to build a freaking settler. <laughs> <laughs> Are you suggesting this game is slow, Troy? I'm suggesting either it's slower. I'm an idiot. I, There's no I, reason it can't be both. I, I have played this <laughs> game to completion twice in under two hours, single player. Right. What? Yes. Whoa. My Wait, first what? game took me about 18 hours. Wait, to play. Are you, are you, are you, you must be playing on the shortest game. No, 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 no. No, it was a standard game. My, I have managed to play a scientific victory and a cultural near victory uh, b- b- or rather a points-based, but my, my focus was culture, um, near hours. victory in about two hours. In both cases, I did not build or use a single combat unit. I mean, I built a few, but I did not use a single combat unit. So I was sitting here going, I, I basically was just hitting return over and over again for 495 turns uh, while I was making selections on research and building in a handful of cities. Okay, well, let's get into that. I mean, how did you not fight a single battle because I'm finding the AIs happy to jump on you. Right. Well, so so here's the thing. I mean, I read I read Troy and I and I think Rob, you said similar things in your review that that there's sort of this this perpetual military component to this game. That if you don't if you don't protect your borders, you will just get run over in the like as early as the medieval era by by aggressive neighbors. I actually think that one of the interesting things about this game is geography matters in a way that it never has before. Oh, and that no, doesn't it, it that doesn't just mean I need to figure out where my, my units are going on a hill. I mean that's been very well covered that the combat is now actually somewhat tactical and you actually have to figure those kinds of things out. But if you actually manage to end up on a continent that's fairly sparsely populated and is and is protected by large sea lanes from the rest of the world, you can have this opportunity to pursue a strategy that does not involve the military, which seems completely logical to me, right? I mean, if, if you drop well, me into the middle of the Americas and all I have to deal with is one city-state, then it seems totally logical that I should be able to get to the industrial era without fighting a war. Well, we'll get into th- There are some other issues that are affecting that and make that, make that possible related to the way the AI works. And it's fair to do anything naval properly. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a part of it as well. Um, so, Todd, let's go to you uh, right. since you're our guest. You didn't play a lot of Civ when we talked last week on Jumping the Shark Show. We've played a lot more since. Yes. Um, are you, how does it compare to Civ 4 for you? Is this going to replace Civ 4? Is it. I am very torn about it. Um, I like, I really respect a lot what Firaxis has done in terms of changing things up, in terms of taking risks and not, I mean, really, I, I remember when we went on Jumping the Shark, when Bill and I were talking about Madden, he thought it was a game that felt like it was designed by a focus group. This is completely the opposite of that. This feels like they had a design, they had things, they had ideas they wanted to try, and they ran with it. Mm-hmm. And I love that about the game. I'm just not convinced it all works 
particularly well or as well as it needs to. Um, compared to Civ Four, I, I don't think I could go back to the Stacks of Doom. I really don't. In terms I, of how amen. I just yeah. that was my least favorite thing about Civ Four, and the fact that that's out makes such a huge difference to me. I, I can't imagine going back. On the other hand, there are things about Civ Four I liked better. I liked the civic system a bit more than the social policy system. Oh, really? Uh, I do. It's not that I don't like the social policy system. I like it. It's very different. I, but as I, I said on 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 jumping the shark, to me the the civic system with its with its system of offering both bonuses and and detractions to whatever you selected, be it slavery or uh, freedom of religion or what have you. And the fact that you could change direction if you wanted and just trade one set of bonuses and, and negativity for, for another, it felt like I was identifying my Civ more. And with the social policy system, I feel like I'm just sort of selecting bonuses, and those are bonuses, whether I want them or not, are going to stay with oh, me. Oh, really? The game. And it's not, yeah. a, it's not a bad thing, but I like the civic system a lot. Um, and I do miss religion a bit. Uh, really? Okay. I, I do. Well, I like you, you and I weren't actually born in the same planet then. Yes, I know. Well, to me, religion, I wouldn't have mind if they changed religion, if they changed how it worked. But to me, Civ is supposed to be sort of an encompassing, it's supposed to encompass the human experience, you know, from the beginning of time, basically, from the beginning of our time. And without religion as part of that in some capacity, and I don't count the piety tree on the social policy system, um, without that reflected in some capacity, it seems like something's missing to me. This is the first sieve where temples do not affect happiness. Yeah, it's just culture. It's temples are a pure culture building. They've really They're been f- brutal about separating what buildings yeah, do. They have. Yeah, this they is, have. it's really been an interest and that's one of the things that really struck one of the other things that struck me about Civ is just how they have separated so many of these things. And that goes into once again the choosing your strategy. You can't build a library and say, well, it will give me science and culture, so that's fine. No, it's all very binary. Yeah. Now your library just gives you science, unless you're the Chinese, in which case your special building gives you that. Now, I'm inclined to think that's a good thing. Uh, Does anybody not think that? No, I I actually was not a big fan of the religion system. I mean, I'm a big fan of religion as a theory. I'm a religious guy, but I was not a big fan of Soren's system for doing religion in Civ Four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing that and espionage disappear was like I, I was <laughs> for I, now. This game got like a go, went from a C to a B without having ever playing ever playing <laughs> it because because I just hated those systems so much. Um, and I actually think the civic system does force you to make those choices. Now, to be fair, I agree. It forces you to make those choices early. And therefore, as a player who's going to play this game, you know, a hundred times, my decisions will be very different the 50th time than the first time. Because the well, first time well, I played it, I was well, just like, oh, that seems fun. That seems well, fun. Well, let's explain what the social policy system forced you to choose early. If you you start with only three trees open to you. Right. And they're ancient trees. And you get some pretty good, if you choose one of them, there are some pretty strong, each of the early trees, early social policy trees, has an opposite tree in the industrial and modern era. Mm -hmm. And to switch to the one below it removes all of the bonuses you got from that earlier ancient or medieval tree. But wait, wait, so wait. Are, choose... they, are they direct oppositions? Because no, I, I've been checking. There's a surprising number that don't seem to have opposites. No, there are only, there are only a few that yeah. are actual opposites, like okay. piety and rationality. Uh, tra- right? tra- tra- tradition, uh, liberty, and uh, autocracy. Right. But, yeah. but I think... But there are, no, autocracy uh, and freedom, right? No, no. Freedom is below piety. But it's not the yeah, case... Yeah, but it's not that... a range. It's not arranged vertically, though. Right, right. It's not. Okay. It's not. It's not the case that you have okay. the ones at the top, and they are offset by the ones right. at the bottom. There are only it's, like I, I believe there are only three that are actually completely okay. ex- mutually exclusive. So if right. you run down piety, you can't run down rationalism. Right. Well, there are a few on. that are like that. Right. I mean, what I think, what I think is going on with the social policy tree, is that I, I think the choice you have to make real early on is whether or not you're going to be going for a cultural victory. Because at that mm-hmm. point, you really do not want to replicate any work in the social policy tree. You want every single you know new policy choice you get, right. um, and that that accumulates to you as you gather you know culture levels. Um, you want each one of those choices to contribute directly to victory. If you're right. not going to go for a culture victory, I think I think the policy tree actually gets a little more interesting uh, because then what you're doing is you get to choose like what do you need right now um, and what might be more beneficial in the long term. Like when I've got 
um, neighbors that are looking really scary on my borders, I look at the honor tree and, you know, I see several ways it can help me improve my military very quickly. Right. The um, anti-barbarian tree is very helpful in the early game and in, in pretty useless by the time you get to the industrial area. Right. And, and it's not, and it's not, and I think like in the tradition tree, um, I think it's tradition, um, you can get a bonus to units fighting on home territory yep. um, against invaders. So are you going to be waging aggressive wars? Then that's probably not your thing. But mm-hmm. if you're going to have neighbors descending on you, and there have been a lot of times where I get that, um, you know, it's it, those great Civ moments where the right thing unlocks at just the right moment. So somebody invades, a turn later I get a policy selection, and I get to slap a huge bonuses on, bonus on my troops, and then it's like, all right, it's on. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we talk a little bit about the pacing? Because you, you sort of hit... Yeah. You, you brushed over what I think is a key thing this game gets right, and which was rarely right in previous versions, which is mm-hmm. it, it strikes me that the pacing of this game is the one thing that has been most improved and the most difficult to measure. Right. I, I mean, I can't yeah. I, had, I had countless I games of Civ four where I felt like I was pursuing one strategy and I was sort of really well down a culture tree, but I was stuck in the middle medieval era and somebody else had gone and they were actually crossing over into modern. And, and there was this huge disconnect that just didn't make any sense in the world, right? It broke the sense that we were all playing the same game, me and the, me and the other people in the pit box game or me and the AI. And this game seems to have tightened that up in a way that is similar to like when you're playing a great racing game and you feel like you're always in contention, mm-hmm. it feels very much like that. Oh my and, god! And See, no, you say potato, I say rubber banding, and that's what you're <laughs> that's okay. Like, it is like a racing game, and it's like every time I draw ahead, someone gets a fucking blue shell and is charging right up my ass. That's, I mean, that's that, that's kind of how this game seems to go. Is there's all these ways where the game? So you think the pacing's start, broken? I don't think it's broken. I think it's I think it's a decision. Rob, um, what what difficulty level are you playing at? Uh. Prince and uh, the one right below it. Okay, because I got to tell you, I just my first game I finished on Prince, and I felt like once I got out to a lead, I was off to the races in that one. I, I mean, um, yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to end game, I think, mm-hmm. in a minute. But right. w- one of the things I've run into is there. There are a lot of moments where just when things like are starting to go really well, um, something slips. Usually, a lot of times it's happiness. Um, sometimes it's happiness pain. is definitely the the honest we'll, measure in this game. Yeah, we'll talk about happiness in a bit because I've right. got some I got some I got some issues with not being happy. But so <laughs> one of the things, I, I think in Civ Four, I think it I think like Civ Four and pretty much any Civ prior to that um, was very cool with you you know breaking out into the open field and just basically running roughshod over the game. Um, Civ Five does seem to have mechanisms built into it to prevent you from doing that. Are you building too many advanced buildings? Well, uh oh, here come the upkeep costs to grind you down. So now your entire world is going. But to how does that rubber banding? Those are all out front. That's game oh, balance because they're all up. Oh, it's 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 game balance. Is that game balance? Because okay, it is. No, rubber banding is rubber banding is when the guys who are behind get a magical pull to the front, right? Game balance is oh, you overreached your ability of your economy to support your technology development. You're going to pay for that, and that's explicitly stated with every choice you make. Yeah, I mean that's and that's totally true. But it's I guess it's a matter of taste. Like to me, it feels kind of arbitrary that, you know, I start to win a war and the unhappiness levels just go through the roof, and there's nothing well, I can do about it. Absolutely, this right. this is not a game. Remember what they say: this is not a game of building an empire to stand the test of time. No, it's it's not. You cannot because empires are a bad idea in this game. Which is why it makes no sense that they have when an AI is getting stomped on, having them come at you and say, "Here, have five of my cities, and you can really screw yourself over because you're going to have forty unhappy." You know, uh, uh, negative. See, I've read, I've read like every review I've read about that strategy, and 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 it's gotten patched out. To be fair, right? They they patched out in the last patch that there's some questions as to whether they did. 
but 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 actually I actually think that's a stroke of genius. And and you can all call me an idiot for that. But but if you're about to I mean, put it in a historical perspective, you're a, a rampaging new empire and you're you know, you're England running through Southeast Asia and 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 the the defending force is sitting here trying to manage its burgeoning empire and all of a sudden they're in trouble offering up the problem provinces is a brilliant move on their part is are they just offering up uh, no they're, they're, that's Wait. not what's going on this is them surrendering because uh, the, 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 the patch says that the problem is the city the ai was undervaluing cities this isn't some grand strategic no 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 but but gesture. But I, I I get that I understand that this I mean I had that case where the AI was offering me their like second largest city right that obviously is stupid but offering <laughs> your fringe to the conquering invader yeah it's actually yeah. a smart strategy so that I understand I, I understand why they did it and and maybe they didn't implement it perfectly and let's we can talk about the ai and all the things it does well the ai has perfect. always been able to ai has always been able to surrender cities um, that's nothing especially newer especially no, 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 but 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 i feel like it's doing it with more regularity than it used to cuz it's an idiot <laughs> <laughs> no i guess I, but, but, hang but on, when I, your cities still... cost you so much to maintain is that idiocy but I mean, this is this goes back to my point. I guess rubber banding might be the wrong word for it, but am I the only one who felt like occasionally the game is just like weighing you down and trying to obstruct your progress? And yeah, I guess you can strategize your way around it. But there there are so many times that I mean, my entire well, game becomes about like clearing a money logjam or a happiness well, logjam. This is because the new Civ is not like the old Civ, and I think that is the thing that a lot of people having a lot of problem getting their brains around including yep. myself for a long time this is not a sieve where, where you measure your success by how much land you own yes yes that absolutely. is that, is that has been the traditional barometer am i doing well well yes because i own half this continent so i must be doing well and that's this why is I not a sieve so about that it's about my few victories i've had where i've had four cities on half a continent and I've I mean, been you can, able to you can, you can do that in the other civs. You could always do it in the other civs, but it hasn't. But it hasn't been as easy, and it's always you know a little bit more fun to go and conquer. It's easier to get rid of your neighbors right, than it is to live with them. These stacks of doom to just roll over cities. Well, I mean, even when you couldn't, it was because for one reason, because you're for one reason or another, it's or just because the AI, even Civ Four. People have to remember the AI, the military AI in Civ Four wasn't any great genius either, doing amphibious landings with longbowmen. <laughs> uh, so that's not by how brilliant it was until it got all patched and fixed. Uh, but I think that's the thing that's had that I've had the hardest trouble racking my brain around. That this is not a game about. I've, I generally play peaceful games. I mean, if people come for me, then I go after them. I never start a war, but I damn well finish see, it. See, maybe this is the difference because I, I mean, I've this, read I've read right. so many fairly negative reviews, and even I mean, I'm not suggesting you've all reviewed this negatively, but but certainly Mr. Mr. Tom Chick C got me riled up on the internet <laughs> for a little while, right? And and maybe it's because I've always played Civ as a confrontation avoidance engine. Right. right. To me, the challenge of Civ has always been how can I win this game without simply getting the nuke first? Right. Without simply, you know, jumping ahead on the tech tree enough so that I can get the giant mecha robot to go stomp all over everybody. Right. And and so I've always enjoyed Civ most when I've been able to eke out those victories by being the good guy, and maybe I'm just a maybe I'm just a, a Pollyanna guy, a <laughs> wuss, a Pollyanna guy in the first place. And this game to me seems to reward that kind of strategy and negotiation, where you're trying to keep people from attacking you by giving them things all the appeasement, time. appeasement. And I've really enjoyed this game for that reason. So while you've all been sitting here whinging about the lack of a diplomacy system. I've been like reveling in the fact that I can actually keep people from attacking me by giving them crap. No, no, but you know what's not in that system is peace through deterrence, and that's what drives me crazy. Okay, if I if I don't if I get the sense that the AI is basically just getting ginned up for a fight, even when that makes no real sense, like how do you expect to win this war, guy? And it clearly has no plan. Once it attacks, it'll prove that to you. Um, 
but <laughs> I, I don't. I, I rarely get the sense that I can ever look scary enough or menacing enough to guarantee peace. So you're you're like worrying about the lack of a mutual for destruction engine. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think diplom- I don't think the essence of diplomacy is giving people furs and silks and cash to maintain peace. If you're weak, like you are, then yes, that's your plan. My victories are all hollow because I'm pure. weak. Yes. Yes. So, Todd, uh, yeah. diplomacy. How uh-huh. has your experience been with the diplomacy? The diplomacy, I think it's got a lot of room to grow. Yes, um, for sure. I I think. I don't have a problem that you can try to maintain peace through trade because to me that that looks to me like trading a bunch of luxury resources around is sort of a way of representing, I suppose, I don't know, free trade. That was was in Civ 4 too. Yeah, it was. But you really depend – you can end up really depending upon it for your your Civ's happiness in this game. In in my last game, if I wasn't trading all my resources with with everybody to bring in everything they had, my happiness went – way negative it was all i could do to stay positive was to keep trade flowing and that also kept me from getting too militaristic i i took the continent i was on and i said okay i've I've got a balance here i don't have to expand any further i just keep everybody else happy and i can just pump out the tech and get my science victory which is what happened um but i do i question the like the packs of secrecy and the packs uh and some of the, the arrangements you can make, because it's like a, an AI will come to me and say, we want a pact of secrecy against, you know, the Russians or what have you. And I'll be like, OK, and then I won't do anything. And nobody seems to care. Right. Yes. Which makes and me that, wonder it, what the point is. It's all very ill-defined. It is yeah. all very ill-defined. And that I, I hope that that gets solved, because right now diplomacy does sort of seem like this endless barrage of, hey, you want to? And if you just sort of say yes to everybody, <laughs> you're fine. I, yeah. I totally get that. That. That's fine. That's totally fair. Yeah. So it's it's got room to grow. We should make this an all negative and beating on Civ, uh, because we have been playing it a lot, some of us, uh, and there are some good things about it. Oh, so let's talk about. Let's each say what our favorite thing and what the new Civ is. Combat. Julie, uh, Combat. Go ahead. I love Combat. the fact that this does. I mean, to be fair, when I first did the the interviews for this, I did not actually get to play it. So I, I did a bunch of interviews around this. I talked to Sid. I talked to John. And then I was like, well, what's it actually going to be like? Because I've heard everything they're going to say. And what I heard them saying was, we're going to take a sort of a panzer general approach to how to build a combat engine and how units should interact. And we're going to change the combat system to reflect that kind of true strategic dance of units. And I will say, I feel like they nailed that. And mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. to me, that's the part that they took the biggest risks on. They made the biggest changes on. You know, they introduced range, single unit per hex. They introduced hexes. Um, they introduced real differences between units in a way we haven't seen before. And I really feel like they nailed that. And so if we think about this, if we think about Civ Five as a game that's going to live for three years with a couple of expansions and the continuous patches, um, I'm really happy they got that right first. One of which Just, will have exp- one of which will have espionage in it, you know. Oh God! Wait, is that, <laughs> have they threatened to do that? I'm just guessing. Oh, no, hopefully not. Um, but 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 I've, I'm very happy with how that plays out because it makes the tactical game feel good. With the caveat that when the tactical game is being played against the AI. You have to be up at levels I can't win the game at for the AI to do smart things. I have tried playing partial games at sort of the top three or four AI levels. I generally play at Prince or whatever the level is above Mm -hmm. Prince. I can't remember. King, I think. Um, But but when you play at the upper levels, it does seem to do smarter things with its units, right? It won't run a bunch of anti-tank guns up against infantry or whatever. I mean, it doesn't do stupid crap. Also, it has more of them. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, and that's why I can't win is because at the higher level, it seems to have magic production bonuses that I can't keep up with. It absolutely um, does. Yeah. So so uh, my hope is that as the game evolves, the combat engine stays tight and all the other stuff we're talking about gets fixed. Rob, your favorite thing? Um, you know, I think I really enjoy It's partly an interface thing, but I, what I've really gotten into is city management. Um, way more so than in any other Civ. Um, I see that. And, How so? Well, I think part of it is, I mean, 
just from an information design standpoint, like everything on the city management screen is so much clearer. I have I, I look at that screen and I have a very good sense of exactly what's going on, where the city's strengths are, where its weaknesses are. And you know, somebody somebody check me on this, but it seems like it seems like there's more flexibility in what tiles your city can use that are within its radius. Well, sure, you can now buy the ones you don't have. Right, right. But I'm talking about like love, when cities, when I cities love have that. When, when the, city city radii overlap, it seems like there's a little more yeah. wiggle room for that. No, I agree yeah. with that. I agree with you there. Yeah. And, and, and really, so, it's easier to manage specialists, I think. Exactly. Absolutely. And you're putting them in the building. So what I really love is like, you know, when I do get those moments where the game's like sort of putting the squeeze on me and I have to go through for a turn or so and really optimize my empire. Mm-hmm. And I really get into just looking at each city, looking at what's around it, and deciding, well, for now, this one, this one's going to be my bank, and here's how that's going to work. And you know, I just watch how it, you know, tweaking these cities, you can totally revamp your empire without building a single new building, you know, without hitting a new tech, just mm-hmm. adjusting the cities, and it's very easy to do. Can totally change your game. That's a really good point, I think. Yep, Todd. Oh, uh, I don't know. Julian took mine. No, no. Um, <laughs> but specific, I mean, I, I do think the combat model, the changes to that are, are, have completely changed the game. And that is the one thing I can hang my hat on with the game and say, this is why I'm not going back to Civ 4. But specifically within that, that part of the game, the fact that cities can now defend themselves is yeah. huge to me. I mean, it was so always so fresh. Like, I built a city. Okay, now I need to build a unit to defend it. And now, the, at the very least, the the city can mount a passable defense on its on its own. So if I get jumped by Montezuma, which like in my current game, who is still a douchebag, um, I can't. I've got time to rush, you know, guys down the roads to to rush to the defense. And also, speaking of speaking of roads, I love that there's now maintenance charges yes. on the roads you build. I think that's a fantastic change. I know some multiplayer players, for whatever reason, are not happy about it, but I think it's great. Why do you think that's great? Because I've got some issues with it myself. I think it's great because I, I want to assume that side roads, you know, like little things to, to go off into to, you know, two squares away into the mines are just being done by my sieve and I don't have to actually construct it. I, I look at the roads you're building in this game with your workers as, as primary arteries. Right. And, gra- and first of all, graphically, it's just nicer not to see roads spammed all over the map. Yep. Yeah, sure. Why do you like paying maintenance costs for? Because them? infrastructure is important. Is because infrastructure costs money. I mean, right. I mean, we look at this country. If you're building, you know, an interstate to go across the country, that costs money not just to build but to maintain. And I think it's important that if you're going to be putting roads everywhere, if you're going to treat roads as an important nervous system or what have you to your empire. Mm-hmm. that it should cost money to have it and you should have to make smart decisions about where you're going to build a road or a, or a rail and where you're not. Yeah, can I add something to that? Because mm-hmm. in previous civs, I, I always felt like um, it was very easy once you, if, you, if you just had a bunch of units, go, workers going around building roads, it was very easy to have your army basically you know, almost tell, like warp from one, one end of your empire to the other. It was very fast, yeah. it was very, very easy. Here... Um, you have to you have to really think strategically about like your road placement and road positioning. You can't and you can't really afford the luxury of just spamming them everywhere so your armies can move freely. You really need to you really do need to think about you know how those roads are going to be utilized and where they're going to end. Yes, you know. And okay. so I, I, from that standpoint, that's that's where I really like that's where I really really like the maintenance fees, especially since bonuses begin to get conferred, uh, especially with railways. Right. Yep. So what didn't you like about them, Troy? Uh, what didn't what didn't I like about paying? It like sounded paying. like you didn't like them. Oh, I, I don't like paying for things. Okay, he's, can, he's uh, Canadian. <laughs> I like the fact that you have to actually I, make choices, right? You yeah, have no, to I, decide I, I, whether I, I, to build your internal was, infrastructure. Don't that I don't. I didn't like the idea, but it's a. It's one. Th- not that I don't like it of paying for you know important maintenance things. I don't want to bring in the whole. Well, people do it in real life. Well, people do a lot of things in Civ you can't do in real life, like sure. flying Alpha Centauri. That's, that's let's leave realism aside. <laughs> uh, but that, what really is the difficulty. It involves a lot more because you have to do all these more decisions and more think. It involves a lot more worker micromanagement, and they build the roads so freaking slowly, and then you end up paying for them. It's just a kick in the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually run out of things for my workers to do. So I don't yeah, mind you know, small empires. Yeah. Well, and then yeah. you end up with the you end up with the the tile flipping problem Troy has talked about, where they go yeah, from 
Right. They, they're like making it's plantation not, trading posts, plantation trading posts, plantation trading posts. Oh, I never automate them. Yep. Yeah, you, I, I stopped automating them. I, I thought they might have fixed that because in no, Cif- no, 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 they didn't. In Civ Four, that was a that was a big problem. But then yep. they had as an option, it, at the start screen. Do you want the war? Do you want the workers to change tiles that have already been worked? Hell no. Is that option gone? That I haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, and now they are fixing. So I don't automate my workers anymore, which means I have to, you know, say, but I I do often automate, uh, but I do often automate the the road drawing. So I want to build a route from here to here, Mm -hmm. uh, which is relatively, that might not be the most efficient route, but I don't want to be dragging my workers around for every little square planning and then having to pay for them. So it's just one more kick in the teeth with the road management, but it's going to happen. Hang on. Has I anyone think... run into a problem where you do the route to command and every turn the worker stops building the route and it's like, well, new orders. And so even though you can, you can give them that route to command as often as you I, want, but I, I haven't I keep had that into... problem. Nope. Never oh, seen man. it. I think that comes up as something might end up inhibiting their progress. If there's like a unit in the way, even if it's further if on down a, the line. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I will have to say I'm so obsessive compulsive about my workers. I even was in Civ Four that I I never automate them. I just ah. I just deal with the time it takes to to micromanage that part of it. Right. Now my favorite thing it's something that's taken me a long time to really appreciate, and that is the city states. Oh yeah. For a very long time, but, I was kind of hesitant. I got these. I remember in my review. I was I called them like Yappy Luxembourgs. Always blah 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, give me this, give me that, kill this other city-state, and I'll give you some fur. No, kill me, I'll give you whales. Uh, and it's really annoying. Uh, but I've really grown to appreciate how they fit into the whole choosing your strategy plan. Mm-hmm. How, if you're into a growth strategy, you are now able to choose which city-states you want to ally with, and how that changes the game. Mm-hmm. Because you will want the, merc- the merchant, the mercantile, the maritime. Uh, city-states, because they give you food bonuses. Yes. Which means your cities grow faster. Your capital gets plus four, and your other cities get plus two or something. Then become allies, and those are doubled. And there are other civics you can choose, or social policies, which double them even more. Um, I, I do have to point out, and, and I know this this probably falls in the category of don't let realism get in the way of fun, but if you, if you ally with a maritime city-state, and you have an empire of 10, 15 cities, th- that one city-state by extension, is producing we'll just a ridiculous you. amount of food. Yeah, and will and, and will break you. Yeah, because your empire is too large, is unhappy, and you're going to be growing too many people. Yeah, and the happiness panel is going to kill you. So you have to watch that. But the city states fit into different strategies uh, very nicely. Um, they require a lot of gold and a lot of handholding and a lot of management. But you can really do some nice stuff uh and and fairly nuanced and fairly nuanced stuff right it's not as simple as either either you know puppet or take it over right i mean you can you can actually play them pretty carefully to get you what you want until you're ready to take it over right i mean yeah i mean often i I don't do you want to take them over which ones do you take over right right because Uh, some of them are easier to keep happy right right so it's it's a it's an interesting thing I've really learned to appreciate more of. I'm still not a super fan of them, but now I really appreciate the concept behind it and what they were doing. I'd like to see a little bit more variety in what they're asking for. I'd like to you know occasionally get you know quests and demands from the yeah, world leaders. I, I don't get a lot of sense that they're very different, right? They seem to be different more based on geography than any on any kind of historical basis. So I well, would there's, re- no, there's no historical basis, right? So I w- it would be interesting to have that historical basis for them to be as fully fleshed out as Gandhi, right? That well, that would be really interesting. One thing that AI needs to learn to prioritize a bit, I think, is I, I in one of my games, I was in a war with the Greeks, and the Greeks were laying siege to the city-state of Venice. Mm-hmm. And I am marching down the road to their capital, and they still haven't pulled back there, and they're just getting whacked. They have no defenses left, and they're still focusing on Venice. They, they had like four units up there. I'm thinking, you've got to bring these guys back if you have any chance. They, I mean, they didn't have a chance because I had out-teched them at that point. But the AI has got to learn when to let go <laughs> and, and look to its own self-preservation. The, the AI has no strategic sense and no tactical sense uh, on the yeah. military front. And that's kind of – that's the really big yeah. disappointment. Yeah. Um, any is a bit of a stretch, but, but, but not good. Not, not, not much good. of a stretch. Not, not enough. Good. 
Um, but yeah, so the city-states have proven to be, you know, kind of a bit of fun for me to play with. They require a lot of gold. Yeah, so if, the strat- if, so if a city-state strategy is one you want to follow, it means you also need to have some gold. It means you can't run a huge deficit. So you really that forces your choices even more. Yep. Um, it's this huge temptation to go and conquer all the city-states. Um, but then, you know, all the world leaders hate you because you're a warmonger. You're Hitler going gobbling up the Sudetenland, and nobody wants you to do that. Um, you know what's excellent, though, is being the guy who wears the white hat and liberates the city-state. Yes. Because then, <laughs> oh, do you have a friend in them? And that's fantastic. <laughs> like when you just like get to nip off someone's like conquered city state, liberate it, and now you've got like a little you know a, a pet- friend forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's that's really nice. I Although haven't I done that. I didn't know that happened. Yeah. Occasionally, they're insufficiently grateful. I can't figure out why, but like in one ca- in one game, I, re- I rescued like Oslo from the Romans, and Oslo loves me, and just I haven't paid them anything, I haven't done anything for them. They just my influence doesn't seem to erode. Rhett did the same thing with Helsinki, and they're totally being, um, you know, what have you done for me lately? And I can't, well, I can't quite. Well, city states have different personalities. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so they even describe what the personality is it irrational, is it hostile, and that could be what's coming into play there. Um, I mean, it's, I've seen the same thing. If you liberate, if you conquer a formerly conquered civ city and you liberate them, for example, I was fighting a war against the Persians and I liberated. Uh, Istanbul gave that back to the Turks, liberated uh, Tehuacan, and gave that back to the Prek Montezuma. And Suleiman was all, oh, whatever you want, you know. I'm your friend. I'll always vote for you to be UN boss. You're going to be king of the world. (laughs) Montezuma was like, to hell with you, you know. Get out of my country. It's like, I just liberated you. Get out of my country. Um, he, He never voted for me at all. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I'm reserving judgment on the city-states, but one, one cool thing that I did enjoy, and this sort of ties into the way like geography is really critical in this game, um, but Hiawatha, who for me is this game's new Montezuma, um, <laughs> he had he had expanded really aggressively and was had kind of um, encroached on territory I'd coveted, and he had a big empire, he didn't quite know what to do with it, but... In between us, there was a chain of city-states. Um, and so I just saved up money, you know, teched up, slowly built an army. And then on the eve of when I was declaring war, I went and I bought off all three city-states. So suddenly his empire was no longer contiguous. Um, it was divided by that chain of city-states. You're a bad, bad man. Oh, That's it was awesome. so good. It was That's so awesome. good. His entire army that was coming to the rescue got bogged down trying to fight its way past Florence and Singapore. And city-states don't go down easy. Because they maintain tech with the highest tech sieve. Right. And this is, another, this is another shortcoming with the AI, in all honesty, is that it doesn't. It's like it's like the old Soviet Union. It doesn't ever get rid of obsolete units. Um, it just it just keeps them around. So you'll see archers, you know, rolling out in the Renaissance. And what are you guys still doing here? <laughs> um, I mean, they have no value whatsoever. And that'll you know, and the AI might be in a tech level where they could be a real threat, yeah. but their army is still you know using units from two or three tiers back. But still. It was really excellent to use the city-states really strategically like that to basically change the map. Yep. That is cool. Yeah, the differences between units of different ages is really dramatic. But I don't get the sense that the AI ever actually spends the money to upgrade them. No. I don't think so. I mean, I've never run into evidence of that at all. Right. And any times I've run into stuff that's two levels below me. The AI cannot manage money, period. How often have you gone to a diplomatic chart and seen Catherine the Great running a deficit of 200 gold? To me, I, I see either feast or famine on the part of the mm-hmm. AI, and I never see evidence yeah. of a well, well-run economy. They're either sitting on a mountain of gold, you know, or they're absolutely destitute. Uh, but rarely do, rarely do they seem to be rational. Once you get to the modern age, that's where the division really seems uh, dramatic in that respect. Let's talk a little bit about multiplayer. Uh, Julian, (laughs) Todd, and I uh, played some multiplayer uh, a few nights ago. We're going to try again uh, tomorrow night, a few of us, and hopefully uh, get a better result. Well, let's let's talk about the result. So I've, I've had success playing 
two player games fine right and right. rob and i played some i played a couple pickup games with folks from gamers with jobs so one on one i haven't seemed to have too many difficulties but boy when you get three four five six people it seems like a total cluster you know what so explain what uh, our experience was like <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, turn, 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 disconnect, turn, 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 disconnect. I mean, that's the experience. And then loading right? screen. Yep. Loading a lot screen, of loading disconnect. Screens. I mean, it doesn't seem to lose much, and, right? To its credit, it, no, you, you don't no. seem to go back too far. But even uh, before even before we gave up, I had numerous times where I tried to issue orders of something and it just it would click, but then nothing would happen. Like yeah, the order was never given. And that was what ultimately led to us not continuing. A lot of people were having that problem uh, that night for a lot of complaints about that. And that will certainly go in the multiplayer review, which you will be writing. Um, there's no play by email that I've noticed. Is there? No, there's no pip, there's no play by email. There's no pip boss. Both of which have been is coming. <laughs> both of which they've said are coming very soon. Whatever that means. Right. <laughs> but I can see this working better play by email. Uh, or pit bus. This is a because the online play is first they're using GameSpy. Now I shouldn't say too much about GameSpy, the site, because I write for them and I love them and they do wonderful, wonderful work. GameSpy, the multiplayer system, has not been state of the art for quite some time. I was gonna say that's not unusual for anything that uses GameSpy, is it? Because it, I don't do not, a lot of multiplayer, but not in my experience. Yeah. I wonder if it would work better if we did a direct connection because it works through a direct internet connection too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could you could do it through Hamachi and pretend we're all in a LAN. I mean, who knows? But right. it's, it's just busted right now. I mean, in this day and age, the idea that you can't play a turn-based game online with six other people is ridiculous. Well, so that it's such a big step back from Civ 4, too. Yeah, it's, it's just busted. Which ran very well right out of the box. It's yeah. just busted. Which is really too bad. Um, so let's talk a little bit about future expansions. What would you want to see expanded or changed? Other than fixing multiplayer? That, yeah, that would be that, my that, number one. Well, that'll be patched. But if you could add something to the next game, say we have Firaxis Azir. I know some people there listen to the show. <laughs> uh, so if you, you have the rear and you want to change something in Civ uh, for an expansion, what do you want to see added besides new civilizations, mm. which have to have the Canadians in them? We know that. <laughs> Hmm. I gotta go with I, I gotta go with two things. I'd like to see new leaders added to each sieve, just so that there was a different way to play each sieve mm-hmm. to get them different ah, bonuses. Interesting. Yep. Um, and I'd also I, I would like to see a return of religion in some capacity because I did like I, that in support. I, I will say I'll, I'll sort of agree with you. I'd like to see an expansion of the civic system. I don't want to see religion show up the way it showed up before because I don't think that worked. And I think that they they, they sort of had to dance around a little bit. If they um, change how it works, I'm fine with that. I just think it should be represented in some way. And I'm not yeah, even religious. I, I would love to see I would love to see an expansion that was focused very heavily on the civic system. I think that would yeah. be really interesting. Yeah, okay. I agree. I'm not a creative person. I have very few good ideas. Um I mean, I, w- I would love more options in the policy in the policy section. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, I, I don't know. I look at this game and I fantasize about an Alpha Centauri expansion or something like yeah, that. Just something yeah, something sort of skin I, I, like a little like just. I mean, I, it doesn't have to be a full fledged game. Just something a little mm-hmm. like different flavor on Civ Five. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like Twenty Fifty shows up and I'm not done. Yeah. yeah, especially because that's when the giant death robot rolls out. I like, know, oh, God, which is like the best part robot. of the freaking game. Yeah, I, I, I thought I was misreading it. You know, I, I saw it in the texture. I did a double take. I was like, wait, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he rocks the house. When you get that bad boy rolling across the continent, your life is good. I still nobody expects a giant death robot. <laughs> yeah, they they say it as a, a penalty for attacking cities. I never noticed. Is there? Yeah, I mean, a diplomatic robot, penalty, the, I think. But. The giant death robot is like a tank. It's not meant to attack cities. But when you're attacking Spearman, no one seems to notice. Oh, I do have to say, I get this really perverse thrill from Gav having a sub when everybody else is still on frigates and, and caravels <laughs> and launching a torpedo attack from like four squares from four hexes away. That, that feels really good for some reason to me. And I know it shouldn't, but 
Got it. For me, for me, it's nukes, man. Like yeah. the moment nukes open up, and I've got a good, comfortable lead in the game, and I, like whatever my highest producing city is, I just start rolling out the nukes, basing them near whoever's annoying me, and <laughs> then I start wiping cities off the map for sport. It's you great. It's like, no, look, there's there's Hiawatha. Like it was so great. <laughs> Poor Hiawatha. Jeez. I, I, I beat up Hiawatha, but I left him one little city, so I left him on a little reservation. <laughs> and, oh, God. <laughs> and then I, I decided, well, you know, Hiawatha, time to go. And uh, we wrap that up. We close that frontier. Here's How do you not feel guilty using nukes? I always feel guilty. I have not built a nuke yet, and usually it's one of the first things I build, but I have not built a nuke. Yeah. The, the, the fallout seen. penalties are pretty severe, right? I mean, you don't want to be fighting in fallout. Well, I don't nuke on my border. And please, who said anything about fighting? Do you think I'm using armies by that point? <laughs> You just nuke him and let him die. Yep, pretty much. Uh-huh. Well, good times. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, what, what about you? What, what expansions do you want? That's a good question. Um, you know, I kind of would like to see scenarios. Really? Some of the, there's some really well done scenarios for Civ Four, and I think you could actually do some interesting. Uh, smaller scale interest, smaller scale stuff for Civ Five. Uh, I'm not sure how you would do it, uh, but th- this it gives you a chance to mess around a bit with the social policy system and actually lock in what a civilization looked like in a particular period yeah. and had these bonuses. I, I, and I would you like could to get do more, that for would, a scenario. Yeah, I'd like to get more depth in one time era. Right. I mean, yeah. part of what's always frustrated me a little bit about Civ is that, you know, it would be cool to break down, say, take the Renaissance and let's just focus on, you know, let's take the tech tree and blow it out just for the Renaissance. So you're not just getting right. optics. You're getting all the steps along the way mm-hmm. and really narrow in on that. I agree. I think that would be really interesting. Well, and, and another thing is we've all agreed. Like, I mean, we, we dig the military component of this game. And this, for me, was always the problem with Civ scenarios and other games is that a lot of times they're based around some sort of conflict. But the conflict game was never that interesting. Now it finally is interesting. So why not, like, create some interesting conflict-based scenarios and maybe even use some scripted AI or just construct mm-hmm. a map that will challenge you as opposed to, like, hoping the AI will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take it in that direction. Like, embrace this game's wargaminess. Well, the maps have been very challenging, and I really liked uh, how the geography does force you to do interesting things. Fighting on an isthmus, um, being bombarded by a city that can see you and you can't see it. Uh, and you haven't discovered embarkation yet for your troops to go off. Yeah. Uh, building citadels, three citadels with great oh generals God. along an isthmus. Oh, <laughs> citadels, hang on. Three, three citadels side by side, each of them doing three damage to every enemy. That city's and never you can going sit, anywhere. Yeah, that, you can just sit back and wait. And they on, can't come and get you. Just... I love the great generals. Oh, they never worked in, in Civ Four, but here, the presence of a, a great general on the battlefield, especially because there's no stacking, makes such a huge difference. Where that but they're guy so is. hard to manage. God, what getting does, them to the right place and what? keeping them from getting killed. What, you what does the stand great... there? I, I I find that I end up getting them too close to another unit and they get killed all the time. But you can stack them with with a existing military unit, can't you? Right, but but they seem to get they seem to get targeted. They they seem to get killed. Yes, that's that. that what what does that tell you about Julian's generalship? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just this find is why we can't just... have nice things, Julian. Oh, shut up. That's no, one but... thing I haven't taken the time to look at. What 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 bonus does just having the presence of the general confer? Twenty five percent bonus. Twenty five percent to any any soldier fighting within his radius. So if any Which unit is, two, is adjacent right? to the general, is it I think just one. Or is it two? It's just adjacent. Okay. So. You put that general in a place like near where there's going to be a lot of fighting, and he can be a huge difference maker. And the fact that he can build citadels is just amazing. Yeah. Because then you, you if you've got that like hill just out there on your border, you know, near the other guy, you're not sure what to do with it, build a citadel. Build a citadel, <laughs> park your best defensive unit there, and that will destroy the first wave of any invasion. Citadel with the AI the way it is, I wouldn't think it could get past that ever. Yeah. That's <laughs> In several of the the sort of non-combat victories I've had, what I've done is taken generals and stuck them right like at some isthmus or some some place where I knew I was going to get attacked over land and built a city and then a citadel on each side, and the AI never comes anywhere near me. 
Hmm. Now, yep. Troy, you were talking about the geography, and I know we earlier we brought up that the the the, the way that like geography is destiny in this game more than mm-hmm. in previous Civs, and um, I know how I feel about that, but uh, you know a lot more about Civ than I do. I'd like to hear you like elaborate on that. Well, the I think the big thing is because the, the tactical map has changed so much. The fact that the battles uh, now require you to use the map uh, when you have stacks of doom. They were all on just one tile, and the map was there looking pretty, getting resources, building income. But you're whatever actually using it or exploring it or saying, well, there's a hill there. What can I use that hill for? There are mount- There's a mountain pass. Um, is that a good place for a city or a good place for a fort? Um, you will actually want to expand towards mountain passes, even though resource-wise they're useless because they give you a, they give you a wall, uh, someplace the enemy can't attack you from. Um, in Civ 4, as great as it was, still I think the best strategy game ever made. Um, because it could fit an infinite number of units in any tile. Mm-hmm. Geography didn't have the same, the map didn't have the same feel of being a living place where people had to navigate. I, I think that's an important part of making Civ 5 feel like a world. Now, the problem with that is that the oceans, the naval stuff, feels so disconnected. Because the AI can't use that. I mean, they can't do anything tactically at all. But, you know, you get to Civ 4 where the AI can... Being able to just turn your troops into their own transports. Much easier. I like that a lot. Great idea. But when in Civ 4, Mansa Musa can load up five galleons full of riflemen and figure out how to ship them over to my city and land them on a hill, why the hell can't the AI in Civ 5 managed to get more than more than a trickle of troops that I could intercept with a trireme over to my uh, island, over to my continent. Well, and that's one thing. I know it's a bigger challenge for the AI than, than in Civ 4. I know the way Civ 5 works makes it a bigger challenge to make the AI really compete with you and use tactics the way it needs to. But, but somebody... The, the, and the, the naval stuff should be easier. It should think. be easier. And, and somebody with the Gamers of Jobs forums po- pointed this out. It, when they said, you know, look, Advanced Wars can do it. Why can't Civ Five? You know, and I, I have to agree with that because it's 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 yeah. the same concept. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And the military stuff was, you know, probably one of the first things they did because you know Panzer General was a big inspiration for John Schaefer. Very little of Civ is Panzer General, so clearly he was working on the military stuff. I would think at a quite early stage. Yeah. So. And that's something you have to get right. When you make that change, you have to get that right. Yeah. But that said, uh, I do like Civilization V very much. I've already put in 100 hours on it. Lord. Uh, just, <laughs> I know. Well, I, I finished Patrician Four, and this was next. Uh, and there's not much else on my desk right now. So that's that. So I, I'm quite pleased with... I'm, I'm, I'm content with Civilization V. It is, you know, still has a, still has a chance of depending on Patch's turnout, of being the best game of the year. But um, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think it's got a bright future. I absolutely think so. I, I think, you know, I, well, I know, hang on. Here's Mr. Mr. Doom. No, 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 it's not <laughs> We're all going to die. I don't look at this game as a replacement for Civ 4 in the slightest. And, I mean, I'm happy for that. Like, I think these two... Once Civ 5 is patched up a little bit, and hopefully that AI can provide a challenge worthy of the design, um, then I think it's got a long, happy future alongside mm-hmm. Civ 4 on my hard drive. Um, but, I mean, I think it's easy to get, like, too caught up on, you know, is it a replacement? Does it advance the franchise? All that... What what I really appreciate, why, why I'm glad to see a new Civ is, it gives us all an excuse to go back and revisit Civ, right. and I think it's very easy yeah. to fall into the trap of just starting to take that for granted and not make time for it and sort of forget that it's there, and that it's still, you know, probably the best strategy series, but the best strategy games ever made, um, and you just kind of you just kind of forget about it. But having a new one come along gives us all a chance to gather around it again you know, tell the same stories you've been telling for years, and yet they're still great, and they're still new, and it's great to see how it changes with each new iteration. Right. I and it's, it's really exciting to see how, you know, this, it, it's, it's like, you know, jazz standard. 
almost. Right. How does this designer interpret it and make it his own? On that very interesting and inspiring note, uh, we're going to wrap up for the night. A note to listeners, uh, I don't know what the topic is going to be next week, and it doesn't matter because I'm not going to be here. Uh, I have a business trip to take care of uh, in California, and so I will be not here for the first part of the week. Um, So I'll be leaving the podcast in the safe hands of Julian and Rob, who have never let me down yet. Um, so they get to choose a topic and invite any guests they please and I will also have other time away in October uh, which will make me almost as absent as Tom and Bruce (laughs) on the show for a month Uh, once again Julian and Rob have been doing yeoman's work here so uh, if you don't hear my voice it's not because I've given up the podcast it's because I have uh, business and I have a wedding to go to in New Brunswick where Uh, are your priorities man I know. If I could record from New Brunswick, I would, but that would scare the dogs. <laughs> uh, this is the last show of September. Uh, I think I should probably let everyone know that September was a ridiculously popular month uh, for Three Moves Ahead. Um, this will go up on September the 30th, and including uh, tomorrow's downloads, we will have beaten our best month by 6,000 uh, downloads. Well deserved. Uh, so we've hit like 20, we've hit, we will hit over 22,000 downloads for September uh, which is great it's wonderful still not gamers with jobs territory but thank you all for listening and uh, doing and spreading the word uh, because subscriptions are growing day by day and I'm glad that uh, people are listening developers listening I get lots of email from independent developers who want me to promote their games on the show and talk about them and I'm going to do what I can because there's some really cool stuff uh, coming out uh, very shortly and we'll see what we can do with that. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening. Todd, so glad you could be here. Oh, well, thank you for the invite. Yes, I had a great sure. time. And please, listen, if, if you don't subscribe to uh, Jumping the Shark and have a more gen- and aren't just interested in strategy games, have a general uh, gaming interest, please listen to Jumping the Shark. I, I write for Game I write for Game Shark. Rob writes for Game Shark. Tom writes for Game Shark. Todd and Bill Abner and you know a lot of other great writers uh, are over there. Uh, it's a site that I'm very happy to be associated with, though I'm paid in, in, I'm, I'm paid in rainbows and unicorn farts. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> well, entirely worth but the, the, the But the podcast is entirely worth it. And I can assure you, if, even if I sound like an idiot, that my, my podcast and compatriots at, at uh, Jumping the Shark sound much more intelligent than I do. So, so do check us out. Plus, I guarantee Bill Abner will be angry about something That's every right. week. Oh my God, That's it's so right. good. He's so wound up, like he every does. week. Yeah, just like exactly. he's waiting. You can almost see him vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. Exactly. All right. Say good night, everyone. Good, good night. Everyone. night.